Tonight we're going to talk about omnipotence. Um, and so that's a really big word. When I was a kid, I always just called it omnipotence because um, that's how it made sense to me. Um, what it really means is all powerfulness, that, that God is, has all power. So the first scripture we're going to look at is found in the book of Revelation, um, chapter 19, verse 6. This is John. Um, he, he has this vision. The whole book of Revelation is this vision that John has of heaven. And, and, and so this is one of the things that he sees in chapter 19, that he hears, as it were, a voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thunderings, which that would just be awesome to hear that kind of choir singing. And this is what they're saying. They're saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Hallelujah. <laughs> we, got, we got some amens going on from the back. Hallelujah. And shouts from the front. It's all good. It's like... Pentecostal church going on here. This is getting crazy. Uh, and someone just said preach. It's just all right. It's all. It's on. It's on now. It's on. Because I wasn't going to do it if you didn't tell me. So uh, thank you. Thank you for um, giving me that permission. Uh, the Lord God omnipotent reigns. The, the, the word omnipotent actually is typically translated in your Bibles as almighty. In the modern day English, we use the word almighty and that sort of works. Um, almighty, omnipotent is the same original word. It's used 10 times in the New Testament. Nine out of 10, it's in the book of Revelation. And so I, I, I think that really the term omnipotent is something that heaven is really obsessed about, obviously. This is something that they are really um, crazy about up there. They are, they are obsessed with the fact that God is omnipotent. He is almighty. The word omnipotent uh, in the original Greek language, it's really a combination of two words, which, which the first one is all, and the second one is to hold. Um, so when we say that God is omnipotent, what we, what, we, what we mean is that God holds all things. And, of course, this is, this is a teaching that's throughout Scripture. Um, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 is, the, is, is, is my favorite one. one. My favorite book of the Bible is Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 starts off with, says that uh, God, who at various times and in various ways has spoken to us um, through the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us through his Son, by whom he also made the world. And in verse 3 it says, And he, Jesus, is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. And he, Jesus, upholds all things by the word of his power. I love that. He upholds all things by the word of his power. We could just stop right there, but, well, okay. And I guess we are stopping right there. We're just going to hang out. All right. Forget the rest of the verse. We're just doing the first half. Uh, when he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And you can just leave scriptures up there. Just, that's great. Because I'm going to keep referring to it. He, had, he holds all things. He currently holds all things together by the word of his power. And this is, by the way, for me, this is a big part of my prayer life, that when I go to God, I am not asking God to come in and to do something like from the outside, like come in from the outside and do something into the world. That's not how God works. God is already in the world. God is already holding all things together, actually. Not only is he in the world, he is the substance that holds all things together. The, the thing that makes protons and neutrons spin around, the, 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 the energy that makes these things, that, that's, that's God. He's holding all uh, molecules together at the most at the most at the most intimate level of, of of the construction of everything that we see God is the one who is holding it together 
And, and, and so when I pray for God to heal someone of cancer, I understand that God actually is holding that thing together. That God can simply remove his word from that thing and that thing would die instantly. God not only holds all things material together, but he holds all things spiritual. All things. Scripture says all things. That means things that are seen and things that are unseen. God holds all spirit beings together. That means that every single demon in hell exists and is alive right now because God allows him to be alive. In fact, the devil himself, the one who is just dead sent against God, is held together by the word of God's power. If, if God were to say, I would like for the devil to disappear right now, he would just disappear because he is only being held together by God himself. So my enemies, my, 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 everything that comes up against me is held together by the God that I serve. So it's, I'm not asking God to come in and to fight something that he you know, has to sort of ex extend energy and take care of. He, he's already the one who's the reason for the existence of everything. So I'm coming to a God who is completely powerful, completely sovereign. He holds all things together by the word of his power. And, and of course, that started with creation. So we have next scripture, Jeremiah 32, 17 says, Oh, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. Um, Job 33, 4 says, The spirit of God has made me and the breath of the almighty gives me life. I think we, we sang about that Sunday. That's your breath in my lungs. Uh, Romans 4, 17 says, God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Psalm 33, 9 says that when he spoke, the world began. It appeared at his command. That when God, when God created the world, he even his, his power is such that he didn't have to exert power to create the world. He simply spoke. And, and as he spoke, um, Stephen, Stephen Shamak says that the ending of his word was not only the beginning, but it was the perfection of everything that he spoke into being. He did with as much ease make a world as we can form a thought in our mind. God created the worlds without, without exerting any energy, without losing any power. His power is such that he can... He can do things like that without losing any power. So you and I, like if we put in a full day's work, then we're tired at the end of it. God doesn't get tired. He doesn't grow weary. His, his power is, is, is such that it, it, it is immutable. Like his power stays unchanging. It's not, uh, he's not strong today and slightly weaker tomorrow or, or the next, next week. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that applies also to his power. Um, uh, Isaiah uh, chapter 40, the famous verse that we all know and love, it says, Do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases strength. God doesn't, God doesn't lose strength when he gives strength. He doesn't lose power when he gives power. It's kind of like the sun, that the sun just 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 gives forth light but it doesn't lose light when it gives light to us because it's constantly replenishing so the light from the sun comes to us and just because we receive that light doesn't drain the sun of any light it doesn't suck the energy out of the sun we're simply recipients of that light and so when god gives power to somebody he doesn't lose any power it doesn't cost him any any power to stoop down and to give you power 
And, and I, I think sometimes, you know, we, we, we feel bad. Oh, I'm always asking God for strength, and I just feel like he's always coming to my aid. And, and you know, he could come to your aid from now until like a million years from now, and he wouldn't be any more tired than he was beforehand. In fact, all the whole world could call on him at the exact same time, and it wouldn't diminish his strength at all because, you know, the entire world is, is already being held together by him. And so he's not diminished in his strength. God's, uh, he's not diminished and he's not benefited. His power is not in such a way that it's benefited by our help. And this is where religion comes in because religion says, hey, we can actually help God out, you know. Like if we live a little bit better and if we tell people about Jesus, then we kind of help, we kind of help help him out so he doesn't have to do as much. And that's really, that's really not true. He, his power isn't benefited or, or uh, detracted from by us. That just, j- j- I mean, just as surely as, as if the whole world were to go blind, it wouldn't stop the sun from shining. <laughs> just because you don't believe in God doesn't mean he's not still upholding you by the word of, your, of his power. Just because you don't see him doesn't mean that he's, he's not still shining. He doesn't mean that his strength is not still there. His strength is there if you, if you believe in him, and if you don't, and if, and if you try to help them, if you go out in the sunshine and, and get a flashlight and, and shine it at the sun, it's not going to help the sun at all. So any kind of righteous living that you might be able to do, any kind of power, you might, you might work all day for him, right? You might get up early on Sundays at 7.30, come on, somebody, and set up a stage, come on, and, you know, and, 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 you know and, and prepare songs and work and labor and toil. And all the stuff we do for him doesn't actually benefit him at all. Because his strength is such, it's like getting a flashlight and shining at the sun. We are not adding anything to his power. We're not adding a single solitary thing. And I think this is one of the areas in which churches have often got it wrong. And it's kind of been for a good cause that in order to get people to help out in certain things, like setting up on Sunday or like missions, we tell them about how much God needs them and how, and how things aren't just, it's not going to be great if you don't help out. And God's not going to, and, and so we often paint God as somebody who's sort of just, you know, just, just really wanting somebody to help him out. You know, can someone just please help me out and help me get this stuff done? I really need you. And God's up there just wringing his hands, hoping somebody will help him out. And that's not God at all. God is all-powerful. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the creator of the, of the ends of the earth. He doesn't faint, doesn't grow weary, doesn't grow tired. He's not looking for anybody to help him out. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. And whatever we do for him does not contribute to him. That doesn't mean we don't want to do things for him. We do things for him not out of a sense of, of, of helping him. We do th- things out of a sense of love for him and gratitude to him. And so it, it, it changes. It, it changes the way that we, that we serve God. God's power um, is absolute. Um, it's, it's absolute in spite of other powers. Uh, so there are other powers. There are other, other authorities in the world today. There are other governments. There are other... Um, uh, bodies, there's the United Nations, there's other people that make a lot of powerful decisions. But these, these powerful decisions uh, still are, are, are given by God. Scripture says that all power that exists is, is ordained by God or, or willed by God to kind of be disseminated throughout his, his, his creation. So there is governmental powers, but there are, there, there are also what we would call laws of nature. 
which is kind of strange. A.W. Tozer talks about how, how the term laws of nature is really, is really uh, more of a humanistic term because law, a, a law is something that, that, you, that you ordinate, that you lay out, and, and, and a group of people sit down and they say, okay, this is something that, that we don't want people to do. This is things we do want people to do. So we make laws. Well, nature is not a thing. Like nature can't create a law. Nature can't tell people I want you to do because nature is not a person. Uh, only a person can create laws. And so A.W. Tozer says that actually whenever, whenever we're studying what we call laws of nature, what we're really studying is the power of God or the omnipotence of God as it comes into contact with humanity. Uh, uh, the law of gravity, for instance, is, is, is something that God in his nature set into motion when he created the world. And, and the reason why scientists can, 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 can learn so much about these things and then deduct things from that is because God's God's so consistent. <laughs> so so God, what God always, what He does once, He always does, and so He builds these these components into nature. And really, the study of science is the study of the power of God, as it flows through nature. And we study and we see the power of the wind, and we see the power of lightning, and we see the power of of earthquakes and tornadoes, and we see the strength of waves and winds, and the effect of the moon on those things. Like whoever thought that would work? And uh, you know, like stuff like like as we study these things, and as we uncover, what we're doing is we're unpeeling layer after layer of the power of God as it moves through our dimension. And these are not laws of nature. These are these are laws of God that he's laid down and he's created. And so his, 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 his laws, while he has given out power and he has enabled us to use that power, we can harness the power of wind and, and electricity and things like that. Uh, he's allowed us to use that just like he's allowed us to, 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 to temporarily borrow the governmental powers of this world. And, and, and he, so he, he allows these things, but these things don't take away from his power. In fact, the book of Revelation, as I mentioned, is where the word omnipotence is used nine out of the 10 times that it's used in, in the New Testament. And the book of Revelation was given to a man by the name of John. John was the last living disciple of Jesus Christ. And John was, was living in a society in which Rome had conquered the known world. And Rome was against Christianity. And Rome was against John. And uh, uh, a lot of people think John had it easy because he was the only, the only disciple who died of natural causes. But there are some things that are still kind of difficult to live through. For instance, when John received the book of Revelation, he was, he was on an island called Patmos. This island had no trees on the whole island. It was a small little island out in the middle of the Mediterranean. No trees, and he's out in the middle of the Mediterranean sun. And this was a part of Roman sort of uh, punishment that for being a Christian, for, for refusing to acknowledge the lordship of Caesar and instead clinging to the lordship of Jesus Christ, the omnipotence of Jesus over the omnipotence of Caesar, he was, he was first dropped, lowered into boiling oil until all of his skin was burned, and then he was dropped off on the island of Patmos where there was no shade to sort of cook in the sun. And it was on the island of Patmos that he received the revelation that is the book of Revelation. It was on the island of Patmos that he heard the angels singing and, and, the, and, and a host of other people crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord God, omnipotent, all-powerful reigns. And so even in the midst of, of, a, of a government that is, that is fiercely against Christianity, of a society that is fiercely against this supposed omnipotent God, God was wanting to show John that those powers don't affect my power. 
Those powers are temporary. Those powers are passing. Those powers are simply power that I have lent for a time, and I'm going to take it back. <laughs> like, 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 you know, like when you play Monopoly, like we just did on Monday night. Um, you know, uh, and certain somebody wins. I don't know who that would be. But, um, but uh, it was Altiver's fault. Um, but, you know, you get a whole lot of money, or at least uh, Matthew and I got a whole lot of money. Uh, you get a whole lot of money, you get a whole lot of property, and it's great, it's fun. And, and the best part is, of course, eliminating other people because I'm a little bit competitive. And, but then when the game's over, like, everything goes back in the box. Everything goes back in the Monopoly box. And then you don't have that money, you don't have that property. And then you have to go back and drive your Kia home, you know, to, to, uh, to your 14 acres with, with uh, bees and maggots. And, you know, not quite as glamorous as the Monopoly life. Um, it all goes back in the box. And that's kind of the point. God owns the box. Like his authority is over the box. And he allows people to play with Monopoly money. And then it all goes back in the box. And it's his box. And so he allowed the Roman government to have some authority for a while, and then it all goes back in the box. And he allows these, these kingdoms to rise and these kingdoms to fall, but it all goes back in the box, and he owns the box. His authority is over, over it all. Uh, I have, a, have kind of a long passage here that's, that's given to us um, by Job uh, 26, and, and, and it is that uh, there, there is a difference between the power of God that we see and the power of God that there is. Um, and the way that I would define that is there is an absolute power of God, which is like the, the total sum of his power. And then there is the ordinate power of God, which is the power that he uses according to his will. So I think the best way to explain it is that for you and I, um, our desire usually extends beyond our power. Uh, we could probably all agree with that, that we all, both for good and evil, <laughs> uh, our desire usually extends beyond our power. We desire to do more, if it's for good, we desire more good than we're able to do. There's just not enough hours in the day, and there's not enough power that we have. And so our desire extends beyond our power, but for God, it's the other way around. His power extends beyond his desire. So when he operates in the world, he operates according to what theologians call ordinate power or power that's, that's only confined to his desire. That his, his absolute power is such that, you know, I mean, he could literally, obviously, speak st worlds and stuff into existence, just, just crazy. But what he has ordained, what he has designed, what he has willed is for his power to flow through certain channels and for his power to be seen in certain ways. And so, so that's why we don't see the absolute power of God on a day-to-day -day basis. We do see the ordinate power, and we need to understand that the ordinate power, as great and as powerful as it is, is still just a scratching the surface of the absolute power of God. And I think really heaven will be a constant discovery of the absolute power of God, because in heaven there will be no need for an ordinate power of God. But so I have this scripture here from Job, where Job, where Job just speaks of stuff that he really scientifically shouldn't know anything about at that period in history. Uh, here, I think it's Job 26, verse 6. He says, The realm of the dead is naked before God, and destruction, uh, death, lies uncovered. He spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. How in the world did Job know that? Like, they hadn't gone to the moon yet to see 
to see earth suspended over nothing. So Job said he suspends the earth over nothing. He wraps up the waters in his clouds, yet the clouds do not burst under their weight. He covers the face of the full moon, spreading his clouds over it. He marks out the horizon on the face of the waters for a boundary between light and darkness. The pillars of the heavens quake aghast at his rebuke. By his power, he churns up the sea. By his wisdom, he cut Rahab to pieces. By his breath, the skies became fair. His hand pierced the, the, the gliding serpent. In verse 14, I think, is the best one. He says, and these are but the outer fringe of his works. How faint the whisper we hear of him. Who then can understand the thunder of his power? What we see now is a whisper. It's like a, it's, it's like, it's like a, a tiny whisper of what he can do. And yet the thunder of his power like the power of thunder. If you think of the, 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 diff, the distance between whisper and thunder, that's the distance between what the power that we see right now in creation, the power that we see right now in, in history, the power that we see in his life, uh, in, in, in our lives, in our day-to-day life. The power we've seen in City Chapel over the past six months is a whisper compared to the, the thunder of his real power. That's why I think all of heaven is enraptured with the thunder of his omnipotence. All of heaven says, wow, I didn't know you were that powerful. I had no idea you were that. Like scientists are still discovering stuff that God made thousands of years ago. You know, we're still counting stars for crying out loud. You know, like I was, I was watching this thing of like the largest star that we know yet. And it's ridiculous. Like a bazillion earths could fit inside of it. It's, and it's out there just floating around. Like, just made this thing. It's just floating around out there. There are black holes and all sorts of craziness. They just made only he enjoys them. We don't even see them. <laughs> and all of that is a whisper of compared to the thunderclap of heaven and the thunderclap of his presence and the power that we'll see when we step into his presence. We serve a God who is omnipotent and it's hard to really even define what exactly that means. And so this month, we're stepping into a season of prayer. For, for me, uh, God's omnipotence has incredible significance when it comes to my prayer life. When it comes to praying to Him, I, I, I constantly reflect on the omnipotence of God. And I think about the power of God. And I think about the, the capacity of God that anything, He can do anything. He can do anything that He wills to do. He can do anything that he wills to, anything that he wills to do. He can just, anything, and, and so in that sense, anything can happen. And so my, the scope of my prayers becomes so much larger when I realize the size of my God. And I would say, actually, that among most Christians, that's probably one of the biggest gaps, the gaps between the size of their prayers and the size of their God. And that's partially because we don't really understand how big our God is, and that's partially because we don't really believe how able that he is. And so we, we, we ask small things and small prayers, and we pray tiny, tiny petitions, and Lord, just help me make it through the day, and just help me. And it's like, it's like, it's, it's like we're, it's, it's, 
It's like we're not talking to the God of the universe. It's like we're not talking to the God of thunderous power. We're, we're talking to some uh, superhero maybe, you know, uh, somebody who's, who, who has to put on a cape and go into a phone booth and kind of try to do something for us. And that's kind of the way our prayers often just ascend. It's like, oh, Lord, it'd be great if you could like just do this little thing. And yet he's so powerful. He's so mighty. And we put like limits that are on us. We put those limits on God. And we don't ask for major things. We don't ask for earth-shattering things. We don't ask for, for big things. We don't let ourselves dream about those things. Instead, we dream about small things. Uh, I, uh, I ran into a pastor friend of mine, and then this, he introduced me to this other guy who says he was also a pastor. And he was... Um, <laughs> he instantly tried to sell me on something. Like, it was funny. I, I didn't know to laugh at him or just to, you know, I, so I was nice. But he, he, he's, I guess he's, like, selling this drink thing and, like, you can get in on the pyramid level. And, and he started going on all the cliches. And, he, and I told him I was a church planner. You know, I'm a pastor, and this guy's supposedly a pastor, too. He says, yeah, you know, you, know, you want to get in on this slice of the pie, you know. And I was like, I, I want to say I prefer cheesecake, but, you know, I didn't want to mess with him because he was serious about it. I mean, he even winked at me, you know, like, it's like, <laughs> all right, good, cool, man. So, yeah, I want to get on, I want to get on a slice of the $6 million pie. His son's making $300,000 a year. And, uh, and I'm like, that's great. That's nice. You know, I mean, hey, it's nice. They're good for him. I'm really excited. That's wonderful. You know, once again, I'm planning a church and, uh, you know, I mean, like I thought like he knew I'd be about my father's business, but I guess, man, I don't know. And so he's going on about this and, you know, he's like, you know, sometimes like if you just lay awake at night, you're just asking God for, 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 for open doors. And what he meant was like more money. And um, <laughs> just thought I'd define that for you. And, uh, you know, sometimes you, gotta, you can't just wait around for God to bring it. You got to step out there and get it. And I said, yeah, I'm planting a church. I'd, like, I don't lay awake at night asking God for money. I don't, like, think about that. I, I, I have food. I have clothes. I have, a ve- I have two vehicles, actually. I have, like, my kids get to eat. I get Starbucks quite frequently. I am happy. Like, there's no way I deserve Starbucks frequently. Do you know how expensive that is and overpriced that is? Like, you know, I have a, I have a sweet laptop. What else do I need? Like, like, I am planting a church. Like, I don't, I don't sit around and dream about $300,000 a year. I dream about 300 souls in the year 2015. I mean, like, if... If you can give me a slice of that pie, then, then all right, I'll, I'll come to your little meeting, you know, I'll buy your stuff. Like, tell me how to get more of that. I dream about 300 moments in the presence of God. I dream about, you know, 300, like, like, like 300 folks packed into a theater on Sunday morning and folks coming out and feeling the presence of God, like the power, the omnipotent. I dream about the omnipotence of God. That's what I want. You take your money, take your slice and your pie and just, you know, go enjoy it because it's not going to last very long. I want something that's going to last. I want something that a million years from now we're going to look back and say, man, aren't we glad we did that? Aren't we glad we spoke to that person? Aren't we? Isn't that amazing what God has done? And so I, 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 I don't know. I guess some people want want the 300k some people are interested in that but to me i mean goodness when you're old and you look back and your kids are out of the house i don't think that your bank account is going to bring a whole lot of comfort for all the time it sucked out of your life for the cost have you thought about the cost of what you're what you're spending your life on i want the power of god in my life and 
And I just happen to think that's going to be worth it. I, I just, I, 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 I just do. And so I was, I was reading scripture this week on Judges, uh, famous scripture, Judges chapter six. There's a guy by the name of Gideon. And how does this all apply to prayer? I think honestly it applies through Gideon because I, I started understanding Gideon in a whole new light this week. There's a piece of Gideon that I've, has always puzzled me and always messed with my head. And I've always thought this guy is like so weird. And, and, and God is like so weird. And, and so I, 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 I kind of went back to that, to that. And I had my Bible around here because I wanted to, I had made a slide of the actual um, traditional story of Gideon, but I wanted to read just a couple verses in front of it. Um, uh, judges, let's see if I can find it while speaking. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, first and second Samuel. First. All right, Judges chapter six. Um, Cause everybody reads the part about Gideon and, it, and it's cool. Uh, and the, but it starts at verse 11 in chapter six actually starts at verse one. Um, and there's this whole 11, there's this whole 10 verses before 11 that sort of sets up the story of Gideon. And the first little bit, um, I've, I've heard preachers talk about quite a bit and it talks about how, um, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. The Lord gave them into the hand of the, of, of Midian for seven years. The hand means like the, the military might and the hand of Midian overpowered Israel because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves dens in the mountains and caves and strongholds. So they were, they, were, they were in dire straits. They were hiding. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza, leave no sustenance in Israel. They wouldn't even leave sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in number. They and their camels could not be counted. I often thought... And this is a diversion, but I often thought, um, what was that? What was that Pixar uh, movie of um, the ants? The uh, uh, what was that? Bugs Life. Bugs Life. No, ants was not Pixar. That was a cheap copy. Bugs Life. Just yeah, you gotta tell the truth in church. You gotta shoot. Uh, no, the Bugs Life. Bugs Life was like flick. I often thought it was kind of like designed after. The book, of, like the story of Gideon, reflects like Gideon and the, anyway, maybe I'm just a Bible nerd, but when I saw it, I was like, oh, that's Gideon right there. Uh, so they, they camped against him like locusts, like in the bug's life, and their camels could not be counted, so they laid waste to the land, and Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. Well, verse 7 comes right after verse 6. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord did something. And it's not Gideon. It doesn't actually have anything to do with Gideon. The Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And the prophet said, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. And he, this, colon, he says, I led you up from Egypt, brought you out of the house of bondage. I delivered you from the land of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're going to dwell. But, big but, you have not obeyed my voice. That's the end of verse 10. And then we come to the story of Gideon. And I always, it's so weird. Like, you, there's just this prophet. He shows up. He says, guys, guess what? I told you not to do it, and you did. And I often thought that it was kind of like God's way of, like, sticking his tongue out at him. You know? Like, they're like, God, help us. And he's like, I told you. It was like, I told you so kind of a message. But that's kind of unlike God. And I've often found that to be so odd. Like they cry out for help and God sends somebody to tell them, you guys messed up. 
And then there's no response. The people don't respond. Nothing happens. We come to the story of Gideon. And I'm telling you that because that helps me, underst helps me understand Gideon just a little bit more here. And you'll see in a second. Verse 11 says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the uh, tabernacle tree at, uh, oh Lord, o Oprah. I didn't know she was around back then, but okay. <laughs> Which belonged to Joash the... Um, I'll let you guys say that. While his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. So obviously he's, he's, he's hiding out. He's scared. Verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. By the way, the angel of the Lord, that's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D uh, in Scripture. That usually means that it's a uh, Christophany. Most people believe this is actually Christ appearing in the Old Testament. Christ shows up, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Now, this I've always thought to be sarcasm because I am quite sarcastic myself. I like to think God is. Um, but I really don't think that's what it is. He's, God isn't typically sarcastic. He's not typically sticking out his tongue at people either. God's typically quite um, uh, factual. And so when he tells Gideon that he's a mighty man of valor, it doesn't make sense to me, but it doesn't mean that that's not true. So God sees him, Jesus sees him, and he calls him out as a mighty man of valor. And then in verse 13, Gideon says kind of what I would say, oh, please, sir, <laughs> if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of the Midians. Do I not send you? Once again, Gideon's statements don't exactly seem like this might of yours. I'm wondering, what in the world is God talking about? And the Lord said to him, well, no, then, then, then he says to the Lord, oh, please, again, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest of Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. The Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you will strike the Midianites as one man. It's so interesting to me that God sees him as a mighty man of valor because I see him as somebody who is kind of pessimistic, um, sort of uh, has low self-esteem, and is currently in hiding. Doesn't seem like a mighty man of valor. And yet, I, and yet I think that, that, that that's because oftentimes I don't really understand the kind of valor that God uses. And so we're going to go real quick to another scripture to try to help make sense of all this. And it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. And this is what Paul says in the New Testament that God had said to him. He said, uh, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So this is what I find to be quite interesting. When, when the people of Israel cried out and said, Lord, help us, God sent a prophet to tell them how lame they were. <laughs> and then when God goes to look for a hero, he finds somebody who all he can talk about is how lame he is. Like, like he's, he's looking for somebody to acknowledge the fact that they're in trouble. 
That all, everything that Gideon said was true. God had delivered them into the hand of the Midianites. God had left them to that fate. God had not done the things that he had done in times past. All of that stuff is true. And, and they were in bad shape. And he was the lowest in his house. His house was the lowest in their tribe. All of those things were true. And Jesus says, yes, yes, yes. Go in that strength of yours right there. That one right there. Like, I tried to tell the whole tribe of Israel with that prophet that I sent that they were in trouble, that they were lame, that they were in sin, that they were in error, that they were not enough, that they were not worthy. I tried to, I tried to infuse them with that strength, but they just, they just didn't do anything with it. So God went and found somebody who agreed with him <laughs> that they were, in fact, in trouble. And then Paul comes in. And he says that God's power is made perfect in weakness. And, and, and first of all, when I first read that, it seems a little bit like blasphemy to me because how in the world can God's power be made perfect? Isn't God's power already perfect? Like if it's not perfect, doesn't it, it that, that's not good. If God's power is lacking something and it needs us to make it perfect, then it's not a perfect power to begin with. But then that kind of comes to my understanding of the word perfect. And the English understanding of the word perfect means that there's a moral gap or there's a, there's a shortcoming. But actually, in, in the Greek, in the original Bible language, perfect means uh, like, a, like a circle or a circuit. That, 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 that God's power is not less than perfect. But when it comes to us, it is fully perfect. But it's looking like electricity is looking for a complete circuit to come back to itself. And whenever it comes across, uh, sixth grade um, school here, uh, tinfoil, for instance, transmits, it, it's a conductor of electricity. Tinfoil is not very strong, by the way, you can't build houses with it. But <laughs> if you hold it up to an electrical current, the electrical current will flow through it and it'll zap you because it'll create a, a, a complete circuit. That's what tinfoil will do. But wood, however, a two-by-four, you can build houses with them and some 12-by-sixes and some other things. Uh, it is strong. Wood is strong. But it is not a conductor of electricity. You hold it up to an electrical current, and the, the, the current stops at the wood. And it doesn't pass through it. And so the, so the circuit is broken. The, current, the circuit is stopped. And this is what I feel like what God's looking for. Because oftentimes when we talk about prayer, we talk about the power of God. What we what, what we miss is we think that when we come to God, we need to be strong and we need to have strong faith in his strength and then he's going to do something strong. So strong plus strong equals strong and it's just going to be all strong. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> and the problem with this is, is that oftentimes we don't feel strong. And so we, we try to press down the stuff that's not strong, and we try to focus on the stuff of us that is strong, and then we bring that to God and ask him to do something strong. We have strong faith, and then God's going to do something strong. And, and what we're missing is that God's not looking for something strong. God's looking for something to complete the circuit. God's looking for something that's conducive, that's receptive to his power. And so God's looking for tinfoil Christians. 
God's looking for Christians that you can't build a house on. They're not exactly strong, but they're receptive to the power of God. They allow that power to flow through them back up to God. And that completes, that perfects the circle. That's why his strength is made perfect or it's a perfect circle in our weakness, in our tinfoilness, in our tinfoil marriages, in our tinfoil child raising and our tinfoil finances and our tinfoil Sunday morning services, our tinfoil worship playing, our tinfoil preaching, our tinfoil prayer meetings, our tinfoil buildings, our tinfoil advertising. God's looking for something that's conductive, not necessarily something that's strong. And so when he found Gideon, he found somebody who was aware of his weakness and who wasn't afraid to talk about it. And so this is, what, this is what Paul says. Paul says, because of that, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Now, the word boast means to cry out loudly, but it comes from the root word to pray and ask God for more of. Well, it's going to really mess up your theology right now. Paul says, I, I found out that the secret to getting the power of God in my life was to have weakness to present to him. And so what I'm starting to do is I'm starting to ask him for more weakness in my life so I can present that to him and then I can have more power of Christ inside of me. And so God, show me more areas where I'm weak. Let's get my strength out of the way. I don't need to talk about that. Actually, we don't even have that. We don't have strength. No, no strength here. We have all weakness. Oh, like I am so lame. I am so inadequate. I am so weak. I am awful at just about everything. God, could you help me out? And this is what he says. He says, when I do that, Christ's power may rest. Now, that's different than simply like, like zapping you every now and then. To rest is to have a complete circuit that is just there all the time, and the power is constantly flowing. To rest, actually, the word comes from the, the word tabernacle or to build a house. What he means is that Christ's power comes and builds a tent inside of me. He takes up residence in me, and he is flowing in me at all hours of the day that there is this unbroken stream of power because there is this unbroken stream of weakness that I am constantly presenting to him and reminding him of. When, we, when, when I go to the Lord in prayer just personally, the, the main thing that I do is tell God how much I can't do. I, 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 I spend a lot of time telling him how lame I am and how inadequate I am to do what he's called me to do. Because that's the best way for me to say, God, you really don't have to do something because it's not going to be me. The, I, the power of God's going to have to come into city chapel. The power of God's going to have to come into our preaching. The power of God's going to have to come into our worship. The power of God's going to have to come into our advertising, into our, into our small groups, and into our people. and into I mean, it's got to be, because if it's not the power of God, nobody's going to get anything. We're just all wasting our time. And I don't know how to do any of this stuff. And so when I come to God, I just start just throwing out my weakness. I just start presenting my weakness and talking about my weakness and, 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 and just telling him how much I need him. That's the first step to prayer. And, and it's so weird because we often, like, we do the opposite of that. When we're feeling weak, we're like, oh, I can't go to church because I've had a really rough week or I really can't pray because I've just been, you know, dealing with some things and I really can't, I just don't feel like I'm, I'm, I'm quite worthy. 
if the only thing that makes you worthy is that you got to be weak enough <laughs> to need him, then what exactly, then, then, then you're just too strong, aren't you? You're just too strong. That's, that's the problem. you got too much strength inside of you. You need to get rid of some of that and connect with God. You need to stop faking, uh, faking it until you're making it kind of stuff. You need to get rid of that, that religious spirit that says that I'm strong in this and I'm strong and I've learned this and I've learned that. So that means I know. No, you don't know Jack. You don't know the thunder. You barely even know the whisper of God's power. Like, stop acting like you learned something over the past 45 years. You don't have a clue. You need God. We need God. It's strange that the whole Israelite nation could be living in caves and still not come to the conclusion, we need God. Like, like we live in such poverty, spiritually speaking. We live in such poverty, and it, it takes us so long to figure that one out. But for me, man, this, is, this has been a big part of me. Ever since God called me to plant the church, and I said, God, I don't think I can do that because church planters are like, you know, they're, they're, they're energetic, number one. They get up early, number two. They, um, they do like coffee, so I guess I fit in there. Um, but they're people people, right? Church planners are people people. They go, they, they make friends everywhere. They're the life of the party. They just, you know, they, they get energized by people and crowds. And, you know, I just don't. And I get tired by people and crowds. I just want to go home and, you know, just hang out with like one person like my wife you know like you know like our wedding like like something like you can tell a lot about a person by the way that their wedding is like our wedding was like our thing our ceremony was like 15 minutes and then it started storming so we had to go inside to have the reception we didn't have a cake cutting thing because we didn't want a, a traditional cake we like cheesecake factory so we had somebody hand out we got five cheesecake cakes and people just passed them out we danced once because Ro had this song that she wanted to dance to, and she's really been trying to get me to dance. And so I said I would do this one dance, and then we were gone. Like, we were like, see, you, you know, like, you guys have fun. You know, I mean, some people, it's like they're at their wedding, they're like partying until like 2 a.m. with their friends. Woo! And I'm like, no, I just want to go, you know, just go talk with my wife for a while. That's what I want to do. <laughs> Let's go talk. <laughs> I'm just saying. Waited 26 years for that talk, you know? We've been wanting to have that talk. And so we just have that talk. I mean, like, I don't want to hang out with, I'm not the people person necessarily. And I said, God, I'm not really able. I'm not, I'm not, I don't know the skills. I don't have the skills. I'm not, I don't remember people's names very well, you know? And I, all this kind of stuff. And so God was like, well, okay, well, just write down all of your fears. Just type them all out. So I typed out this big Word doc of everything I was afraid of would happen if we, we decided to launch out and plant a church. And God was like, good, awesome. Remember those things and keep being afraid of those things. Keep telling me about those things. Keep telling me about how you suck at this and you're terrible at that. And you'll never, sorry, I meant in a Christian way suck. Some of you aren't allowed to say that word. Kids. Um, but just keep, keep that in your face because the moment you lose sight of your weakness. That's the moment you lose my power. And I step back and I say, okay, well, go for it. Because I have absolute power, but my ordinate power flows through weakness. I have chosen for my power to flow through weakness, that weakness is the conductor 
of my power. And so, as we step into the season of prayer, I want I want to encourage you and admonish you um, as a lot of our kind of core people would sort of call you guys the core. I don't know, we don't use that language, but you guys are sort of the folks who are like there every Sunday and and serving and doing stuff. Um, what if what if we what if this group right here what if what if we got so um, needy? What if we got so needy? What if we got so so poor in spirit? That's what Scripture says: "Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall, uh, for they shall have pure heart." Blessed are the poor. What, what what if we got so poor in our spirit? What if we got such poverty inside of us that we became conductors for the power of God? That City Chapel would be known not for eloquent preaching and great worship, but that City Chapel would be known for the power of God, that when people go there, they feel the power of God, and they sense the power of God, and God does stuff in their lives that hasn't happened in years, and, and, and God fixes stuff and heals stuff and does performs miracles. And what if sick people got healed like in our services? What if, what if dead people actually got raised? What if people got prayed for in grocery stores like, like Dennis was praying for a couple? And like, 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 what if it just went outside? What if the power of God just became so pervasive throughout our life? And, and, and what if we, no matter what God did, like over the last six months, we've seen 114 people make decisions for Jesus. 20 people have been baptized, and that's awesome. But what if no matter what God did, what if we were always still oh, deeply aware of our poverty? That we are still so far off, that we are still so much in need of God, that we are still so inadequate at our own families, at our own lives. We can't even be the dad I'm called to be. I can't even be the husband I'm called to be. I can't, much less pastor. What if, what, what, what if we were so aware of our poverty that no matter what God did and whatever awesome things took place, and people look and people love to give, give credit and people love to point and say, oh, this was great. Oh, that was great. But what if we were so aware that it wasn't us? What if we were so aware that we, we, that we were just tinfoil Christians and power was flowing through us and back up to him? What if we were so aware of our own weakness that we were constantly hungry and constantly desperate and constantly thirsty for the power of God? That you never get to a place where you're, you know, full of faith and power. I'm constantly going to have fears. I'm constantly going to have inadequacies. I'm constantly going to be not enough. I'm probably constantly going to be afraid of rejection. I'm probably constantly going to be questioning myself. I'm probably constantly going to be analyzing and overanalyzing and listening to sermons and saying, why the heck did I go down that rabbit trail? That was so weird. <laughs> What's wrong with me? I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly going to be not enough. And I'm constantly going to need Jesus. And so for prayer tonight, I, I don't really, I don't think we'll do, last time we did a little prayer line, which was great. But this time I'd like love for us just to pray right there in our own seats because this is like I want to give you just five minutes just to cry out to God. Let's just tell him of our own poverty. 
Let's stop running from our fears. Let's stop running from our inadequacies and ignoring them and trying to pretend like they don't matter because they do. Lord, we come before you right now and we, each of our inadequacies are different. Each of our weaknesses are different. And for all of our learning and for all of our our striving, we are still in desperate need of you. We're still slow. We're still weak. We're still timid when we should be bold. We're still, we still keep our mouth shut when we, when we should say something. We still say stuff when we should keep our mouth shut. <laughs> we still, we still, we, we're so weak. We're affected by failure. We're affected by success. We're affected by mediocrity. <laughs> no matter where we're at, it's constantly breaking us down and our, our, our self-esteem is so is so low and our, our, our ability to, to, to reason and, 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 and to do the right things is so weak when our ability to be the right people, to be the right friends, to be the right lovers, to be the right husbands and wives and, and, and children and, 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 and siblings. We are in desperate need of you. We thank you for what you've done in City Chapel. We thank you for the, the power that has flown through us and thank you for your presence. We thank, thank you, God, for your power. And so we boast even more. And so we declare loudly and we ask for more. We ask for more weakness. We ask for more poverty of spirit, God. We ask for more poverty of soul. We ask, really, it's just reality. It's really all it is. We ask for more reality on our hearts and on our minds. On our thought lives. And our habits. A realization of all of these things because it'll 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 amount to an overwhelming conclusion that we need more of you. And it's not an option that we pray. It's not an option that we fast. It's not an option that we that, that, that we come before you. This is we're not doing a favor. We're not we're not we're not we're not adding on top of anything. We are in desperate need of power. We are in desperate need of your power. We're tinfoil Christians with tinfoil faith and tinfoil works and a tinfoil history and a tinfoil knowledge couldn't build anything on top of us but your power can flow through us whenever we recognize our need for you and so we just come before you and we, we boast all the more gladly in our weaknesses come and Come and let your power flow into our marriages. Come and let your power flow into our, our workplaces. Come and let your power flow into our, our lack of evangelism and our lack of love for the lost. Come and let your, your power flow into our, our indifference for the poor and the needy. Come and let your power flow into uh, the, the way that we turn our eyes away from, from, from third world countries and people that, 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 are, that are being enslaved and taken off. And, and, and we focus so much on, 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 on getting a nicer car and getting a better house. God, come and let your power power flow through our selfishness and our greed. God, we want to be different. We want to be greater. We want to be better, but we're tin foil and we need your power to flow through us and to change this and to change this. It's only you that can that can reform and resurrect. It's only you that can bring to life and to speak nothing, speak into nothing and create everything. So we present you with nothing. We give you absolutely nothing. And it's all that we got. 